0: It was six days before the Passover, and Jesus arrived in Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom he had raised from the dead. Here they gave a dinner in his honor. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those who was reclining at the table with him. Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet. And then she washed his feet with her hair. The whole house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, the one who was going to betray him, objected. Why was this perfume not sold? The money given to the poor. It was worth a year's wages. But he didn't say this because he cared about the poor. No, it was because he was a thief. It's because he was a thief and because he was the one who kept the purse, kept the money. And he would help himself to it, whatever was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Leave her alone. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews heard that Jesus was there, and so they came, not just because of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the Jews, so the high the chief priests, they made plans to kill Lazarus also. Because for on account of him, many were coming over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. This is an amazing story of devotion, of humble devotion. Mary, as she puts her pride, she puts any sort of uh, propriety aside, her dignity, she sets down and she begins washing Jesus' feet, anointing him with oil. It's interesting. I I think it can be hard for us to grasp what's happening here. We're so far from that first century. Just to remind us that in the first century, especially in Israel, it was all about honor and shame. Life revolved around honor and shame. Making sure that you were with the right people, that you were seen with the right crowd, And making sure that you were good or you were quick to condemn the wrong kind of people. So everybody knew which camp you were in. And if there was some sort of mistake you made, it was just shame. They didn't care the circumstances. I'm reminded of uh, Jesus' disciples when he heals a blind man. They said, whose fault is it that he's blind? Is it his parents' fault or him? Who gets the shame for this? And Jesus says, you're seeing this all wrong. It's not because of what they did so that God would show his work in him. That's not the thinking in the first century. Any sort of thing that was wrong with you, any sort of ailment was seen as shame. And I'm sorry, I mean, probably the closest thing I could think for us is uh, your honor was, in our time, sort of in our language, was like your credit rating. That was how you did business, was based on your honor. That was how you got loans. That was how people interacted with you. was based on your honor. If you were known for being dishonest or dishonorable, then people wouldn't spend time with you. You'd be ostracized. You'd be cast out of, out of society. So your honor was like your credit rating. It's how your family survived. But not only this, but honor and shame were a zero-sum game. And what that means is people would take honor at the expense of others. Very rarely did people say, let's do this together so we can both come out honorable. It was often how I can come out honorable and you come out shamed. Honor and shame was, was permeated everything of the culture. But it wasn't just that. It was also about clean and unclean. Especially what was ritually clean or unclean. In the first century, the people who lived around Jesus, they were, they were meticulous about this. Today we use the word OCD, obsessive-compulsive. Everything was about how clean you were. I think of the story of the Good Samaritan. The story about how the priests and those guys, they would walk around, they would move to the other side of the road and walk around the Samaritan who was injured. That was about cleanliness. That was about ritual purity. You couldn't touch a body. If you did, you were unclean. You had to go through this rite to become clean again. Everything was about being clean. If you were unclean, you didn't go to synagogue. You weren't allowed at temple. You weren't even allowed, allowed around people. People didn't want to be around you because they didn't want to catch your uncleanliness. And so you start thinking about cleanliness and you think about Mary washing Jesus' feet. Now I think we, like we think about maybe our, our road out here that's paved and about the only thing that drives on it is cars. Occasionally, Crystal will bring her horses by. <laughs> But in the first century, roads were traveled by people and animals. Neither one of them cared where they went to the bathroom. Maybe the people did a bit. <laughs> but the animals didn't. Roads were filthy. Mud and feces. Just ground up. <laughs> it reminds me, we were, Tracy and I, before we got married, we were on a mission trip in Peru, traveling in the mountains. And you could just tell, like, it was just ground dirt flat, or dirt and dust and manure. That's what the trails were made of. Thankfully, we had boots. <laughs> but in Jesus' time, they didn't. They wore sandals. So you can imagine how dirty Jesus' feet were. And yet Mary cleans his feet with her hair. She pours this expensive oil on his feet and cleans it with, his, with her hair. Now that's not to say that dirty jobs didn't get done in the first century. People had their feet washed. It was a custom, especially for the wealthy. But they never washed feet. Jews didn't wash feet. If feet were to be washed, they were to be washed by slaves. Slaves washed feet. And if you were a peasant you didn't have a slave, then you just went without. And so knowing this, it becomes amazing as you hear while all these guys are sitting around eating this meal together in honor of Jesus that Mary begins anointing his feet with this oil with this expensive perfume and washing his feet with her hair. Setting aside her dignity, there's no honor in washing somebody's feet, at least not in that culture. And there's definitely not clean washing those feet. Another thing, too, that maybe we don't realize or we don't recognize is that in that time, your hair, especially as a woman, your hair was something you kept for your husband. So you keep your hair up. It was scandalous for Mary to take her hair down and begin washing his feet. It was scandalous. And all these guys are around and she starts doing this. Her dignity, her honor, all that set aside to anoint his feet and to wash him. She sets aside all propriety, all dignity and begins washing his feet in this act of humble devotion. But in one sense, it's not totally surprising to me. I mean, for those of you who know uh, Mary's story and Lazarus, it talks about it in this. As I was uh, telling the story again, Jesus had raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for four days, and Jesus raised him from the dead. And I was listening to one uh, teacher who was drawing the the um, parallels between. The focus on smell when Lazarus was dead for four years, sister said, be careful, don't go in there because by now the smell is horrible compared to a house that is filled with this fragrance of perfume in this next story. I can imagine how Mary is feeling. I can only imagine. No one in my family has been raised from the dead yet. But I can imagine the gratitude that she felt how grateful that her brother is here eating a meal like any other day when she knows that he used to be dead. And by all other accounts, he should be dead. And yet Jesus had raised him. How grateful she is. But not only that, not only that she's grateful that her brother's alive, but that she realizes who Jesus is. She realizes who he is by what he's done, by the fact that he raised her brother from the dead. That he is more than just a prophet. He's more than just an interesting teacher. That he is the Messiah. The Lord who has come. God with us. Who brings healing and salvation. Even that alone, I think, is reason to bow, to let down your hair, and to pour expensive perfume and wash his feet. It's amazing this story, when you begin thinking about all these elements that aren't actually written in, but when you start understanding the culture and what's happening, what Mary's done. It's been months ago that I was led to this passage for this, for this morning. And faithfully coming here, I've been praying and listening to this passage again and again. And I've this passage is great because it's six days before the Passover. This is in preparation. This is just before Jesus is, is handed over, is arrested and crucified. So it's great. It's, it's preparing us for Easter as it comes. We see this prophetic act of Mary. She anoints him with oil, the oil that you save for burial, pointing toward what's coming. Not only that, but this story raises an amazing question, a powerful question of what do we do with, with the oil, how expensive it was. You know, do we focus on the pragmatics that they should have sold it and, and given the money to the poor? Or do we focus on the beauty and the devotion of pouring it on Jesus' feet? Many of us wrestle with that question. Some of us are more pragmatic. Some of us are more pietist. But here we see this story. We see Mary and her devotion to Jesus and how beautiful it is. But pragmatically, that money didn't go to the poor. That that perfume went on Jesus' feet. And how profound that is. How beautiful that still is. I said a minute ago that nobody from my family has been raised from the dead yet, at least not in the way Lazarus was. There have been parts of my family who have began following Jesus, and they are raised from the dead in a very real sense. I myself have been raised from the dead. When I was younger, when I was in my 20s, Jesus was just a theory for me. I wasn't part of a church, part of a church family. I was still trying to figure things out. I lived in a culture that said, you know, it's about money and hard work and my family. Tommy, it was all about family and hard work, getting ahead in life. And it wasn't until everything had fallen through, completely fallen apart, that I realized that Jesus is the one who would always be there for me. And it wasn't because of some great argument or some book that someone gave me. It wasn't because some really smart Christian sat down and explained all the logical reasons why it really makes sense that Jesus is Messiah. I've read those guys since and I see like it does make sense to me. But at that moment, it was the Holy Spirit at work in me. Many of you have a similar story as the Holy Spirit at work in you. But I remember as I was standing in that room, and everything else was just falling apart in my life. I was standing in that that room, the sun coming through the big window. Um, That was the last day that I lived in that house. But I remember realizing, remembering more, that Jesus is the one who would always be there. And the next thought was, you know, if, I'm going, if this is really true, like if I'm really going to believe this now, I'm going to start living this way. No more half measures. No more one foot in, one foot out. I'm just going to start following him the best that I can. As I've been listening to this story, I'm reminded of my own gratitude. This week I've been praying, this, just going again over and over, how Mary poured this perfume on his feet and then washed his feet with her hair and how the whole house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume, asking at late at night, throughout the day, Lord, what perfume am I putting on your feet? Lord, how, what does it look like for me? How am I connecting with you in this humble devotion like hers? This morning, this story from Mary it's an amazing story of devotion humble devotion setting aside all of her dignity all propriety and washing Jesus dirty feet with an amazingly expensive perfume I can imagine her (laughs) trembling as she did it because people didn't do what she did in that day The fact that she laid down her hair. The fact that she washed his feet. All those people around the dinner table. And just to give you a a picture, (laughs) I know like when we say around the dinner table, everyone's sitting in chairs and their feet are under the table. But in the first century, tables were quite a bit lower and they would recline at them with their feet out. So kind of like everybody's feet radiating out from the table. They would kind of lean on one shoulder and eat like this. Their feet would be away from the table. And Mary washing his feet, pouring this perfume on them. The whole house begins to smell. I've been thinking about this and this question for us this week. How do we come to Jesus in this humble devotion to him? How might we, and I'm curious to hear your ideas, how we as a church can humbly devote ourselves to Jesus in these next few weeks as we come toward Easter? If I can just say, uh, this, these next few weeks, as we near Good Friday and the cross and Jesus' death, and as we near Sunday, his resurrection, the fact that he is alive and reigning at God's right hand, and the good news that is for us and for this whole world, I pray this next week, I want to ask you guys to do just one thing, is to find that humble devotion for you this week. I mean, for Mary, it was expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. I ask you to find just, just that one thing in your life that helps you connect to prepare as we come towards Easter and what this means for us. Amen.